You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Listen, when you're up against some kind of a situation and you don't know where to turn, you don't know whether to go forward or go backwards or just be still, you know, seek God through prayer. Seek God through His Word. Seek the counsel of God. God will speak to you. You can be sure of that. I'm going to give you a bunch of cross-references for this in just a little bit as we continue to move through our study. But God wants to lead us. God wants to guide us. He wants to have an integral part in your life's experience. Have you ever become stuck in a situation? You obviously can't go back, but going forward doesn't look good. As Pastor Mike shares in today's message, start with prayer. Seek the Lord's guidance by reading scripture, speaking with God-fearing individuals, and following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Your Heavenly Father cares about even the small choices that need to be made daily. No matter how big or small, you can turn to the creator of all things for direction and purpose. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 27 as he begins his message, Choices That Lead to Disaster. Grab your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, where we left off last time. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 27. And this morning's message, the title is Choices That Lead to Disaster. Choices That Lead to Disaster. Okay, we're going to go through this entire chapter this morning, but let's begin by reading the first three verses. So 1 Samuel chapter 27, verses 1 through 3. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday... By the hand of Saul, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul would despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. And so I shall escape out of his hand. Remember, Saul was seeking to track him down and kill him. Verse 2, then David arose and went over with the 600 men, those mercenaries, those who had joined him, who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Okay, let me set up Bible study for you. Let's back up a little bit. As you know, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months in this series, Saul has been pursuing 
David for years now, nine years. Could you imagine that? Saul is seeking to take David's life. He's been pursuing him now for nine years. He's seeking to kill him. Why? Because of his jealousy. You see, he knew that as Saul, God had chosen him to be Israel's next king. And he thought that David was behind the conspiracy, the movement to unseat him as king. Now, if you look at this in the natural realm, David was at a tremendous disadvantage. Why was that? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, because David would not lay his hand upon Saul. He would not retaliate against Saul. And remember, in our previous studies, he had actually two opportunities to kill Saul and then stop his pursuit of David. For example, let's quickly go back to chapter 26, if you would, just for a moment. In verse 9, and there David is at Hakaliah. There we are told in verse 9, when again, David had an opportunity. Remember, he snuck into the camp. And uh, while Saul was sleeping, David and one of his uh, fellow men had snuck into the uh, camp. Uh, they were unaware of David's presence. And the fellow that had joined David wanted to kill Saul and put an end to Saul trying to track David down and kill David. But remember, David wouldn't have any of that. And so notice there in verse 9, chapter 26, we read, For David said to Abiashai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You see, David realized that only God can change what God desired to change. He figured if God had appointed Saul as king, it was then God's business to remove him as king if he was unpleased with him. So that was the first thing that contributed to David being under this disadvantage. Then secondly, David was outnumbered. Uh, Saul's army was quite larger than David's. Remember, we are told in our previous studies that 600 men joined together with David, and they became David's army, a bunch of mercenaries, a bunch of guns for uh, hired, if you will. And in comparison, remember, Saul had 3,000 men that were a part of his guard. And so David was certainly outnumbered. Uh, so that was another disadvantage. So in the natural realm, those things were working against David. But then on the other hand, in the supernatural realm, David had every advantage. For example, he had the promise of God that he would replace Saul one day upon the throne. That is, David had God's word. Thus, Saul didn't stand a chance against David. No way Saul could prevail over God's word, no matter how hard he tried. But anyway, David here in this chapter under the pressure of being pursued by Saul for those nine long years, once again, having a very narrow escape. Remember, we talked about this last time together. He fell into despair and despondency. And so notice here, David cries out there in verse 1, I know one day he is going to kill me. Now, I want you to think about this as it relates to our own experiences. You know, just because we are Christians, it doesn't mean that we're exempt from troubles and difficulties and problems in our life's experience. 
And how many of us, when trouble comes to knocking on our door, allows the same kind of discouragement to enter in and grip our hearts with fear? We're always thinking the worst is going to happen. But you know what? Most of the time, the worst never happens because God steps in and God intervenes on behalf of his kids. Well, anyway, filled now with despair and despondency, this is the story of a great man of God, David, who is stumbling and falling and crashing to the bottom. Here was a man who was anointed of God. He was used by God so often, so greatly. But in chapter 27 here in our text, he's in the pit of despair. Now, let's consider the reasons why this man of God stumbled so badly. And in doing so, I think it will help prevent us from falling into despair and despondency when we have to deal with life's problems. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This was the first reason why David had stumbled so badly, and that is he opened up his heart to fear. He began to fear, and with fear came the lapse of faith. Notice again, it's found in the expression, I know one day that Saul is going to kill me. Folks, that is a statement of fear and not faith. But if you think about it, this is so out of character for David. I mean, who are we talking about here? Remember, David the hero, right? The hero of Israel. Remember David as a youth, willing to go out against Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, when uh, he arrives there on the front, where the Philistines are engaging Israel in battle, and the military began to share what was going on. Remember, David had been sent to bring some food for his brothers who were engaged in this battle, some of his older brothers, and to just see what was going on. And so they begin to broadcast all of what had been taking place and how this champion of the Philistines, Goliath, had come out day in and day out and challenged Israel to send out one of their fiercest warriors to engage him in battle, and that the contest would be actually decided by who wins that uh, battle. And how did David respond? Well, to that news. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Folks, that is an expression of David's faith. And then finally, when he goes out to engage Goliath uh, in battle. If you just quickly turn there with me to Samuel chapter 17, and we went through all of this in our previous studies, but in 1 Samuel chapter 17, there in verse 26, so David now is standing before the Philistine, verse 46, and he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, he was facing the champion of the Philistines for the glory of God. But now there is this lapse of faith. So this is so uncharacteristic of David. But once again, there's a lapse of faith on David's part because he's under the pressure and fear of death. Saul has been pursuing him for so long. So David utters these words, 
I shall now perish. Listen, faith and fear are mutually exclusive of one another. I mean, if you have faith in God, you cannot have fear. You can't exercise both emotions at the same time. So anyway, fear comes from a lack of trust and faith in the word of God. And you know, both in the Old and New Testament alike, we have so many verses of scripture that address this subject of how we are able to deal with fear. We are encouraged by the word of God. For example, Isaiah 54 and verse 17, there we are told no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Or how about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, one of the more familiar verses of Scripture. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Well, obviously, David had forgotten these promises that are recorded in the word of God, and thus he opened up his heart to fear. Well, anyway, that brings us now to our second reason why David greatly stumbled. And once again, if you're taking notes, write this down. David failed to seek God's counsel. Notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 1. David proclaims, There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. So rather than making his appeal unto God, God, what do you want me to do? You know, what's the course of action here? Rather than seeking the will of the Lord, looking to God for guidance, David began to devise his own plan to escape from the hand of Saul. Notice here, he never called for the priest, Abiathar, remember who had joined himself together with David and the 600 men. There was no call for the ephod. Contained within the ephod of the high priest was the Urim and Thummim, which was used to ascertain God's will. You know, when they were confused or they were in doubt or those gray areas, you know, they would actually go to the priest and they would ask him to ascertain what God's will was for them. But there's an absence of this here on this occasion. So what do we discover? Well, David was now moving, directed by his own skill and understanding, and he was not waiting upon God for guidance. Listen, when you're up against some kind of a situation and you don't know where to turn, you don't know whether to go forward or go backwards or just be still, you know, seek God through prayer. Seek God through his word. Seek the counsel of God. God will speak to you. You can be sure of that. I'm going to give you a bunch of cross-references for this in just a little bit as we continue to move through our study. But God wants to lead us. God wants to guide us. He wants to have an integral part in your life's experience. Like, for example, and again, this is another thing that was so uncharacteristic about uh, David. Before David went into battle, as we've seen so many times before in our previous studies, like, for example, at Kila, he sought every detail and the outcome of the battle before he ever engaged the enemies. Like, for example, quickly turn back with me to chapter 23, and uh, at this time, as I mentioned before, the 600 men that had joined together with David sort of became guns for hire, sort of like a bunch of mercenaries. On this particular occasion, news was brought back to David and his men, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila, and they are robbing the threshing floors. 
And therefore, notice, what was David's first response? David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kila. So do you see that? So this is so uncharacteristic of David, moving without seeking God's will, seeking the counsel of God. And so anyway, now rather than looking to God for help here and direction, he's figuring out his own plan of escape. Now there's something else that I want to draw your attention to that I think is noteworthy. Notice the word speedily in verse 1. Do you see that word there? In my translation, I'm reading out of the New King James, we see the word speedily used. And that word speedily grabs my attention. And out of my own experience in speaking to other Christians, I have found that when Satan is pressuring a person, turning the heat up, there comes that pressure to make a quick decision. Do it now. To make a quick decision. Do it now. Don't think about it. Rush into it. Don't take the time out to pray or to seek God's counsel. You know, if you think about it, this is the same ploy that salesmen use. You know, buy it today because it won't be here tomorrow, right? You know, we only have, you know, one of those uh, cars in stock right now. So you've got to move right now. You ever, go, you ever go to a car dealer and try to buy a car? They're always trying to get you quickly, speedily to, you know, to make the deal, right? So this is a ploy of salesmen that are used. And so, but here's the problem. If you're forced into a hasty decision, you'll also experience the results will be a costly decision. You know, there's this old saying, experience is the best teacher, that is if you can afford the tuition. And how true that really uh, is. Well, anyway, David moved without seeking the counsel of God and God's wisdom. So what do we take away from this? Well, listen, when your back is up against the wall, you're caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, right? Turn to God. That's the wisest choice that you can absolutely make. Don't take things into your own hands. So anyway, that's the second choice that led to David's downfall. And then thirdly, David's third choice he sought safety among the enemies of God. Notice there, we are told also in verse 1, he said, I'll escape into the land of the Philistines. Listen, you don't ever want to escape into the land of the enemies. You say now, at this point, Pastor Mike, what are you talking about the enemies? Who is the enemies? Well, worldly practices. The world. How does this relate to us? Well, People so often turn to worldly things, to worldly practices, to escape their problems. You know, it goes something like this. Uh, here's an example. In my business dealings, if I want to get ahead, I just got to lie or cheat a little bit. I mean, everybody's doing it. I mean, an honest businessman can't stay in business anymore. You know, if he doesn't like just alter things on his own, you know, just lie a little bit, cheat a little a bit. What's going on there? We're compromising. You begin to use worldly or the enemy's methods. You're escaping into the enemy's camp. That would be the equivalent of this. 
Listen, folks, this is a dangerous choice to make. In David's case, as we will see, this move only compounded his situation and his problems. And this is always true when you turn to the enemy for help. And don't do things God's way. Now, you might justify David's actions by dealing, or rather by declaring, well, listen, Pastor, I mean, it all worked out. Because notice, let's go on now in our text. In verse 4, we are told, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, there in the land of the Philistines, and so he sought him no more. So you might come to the wrong conclusion here. You might be thinking, well, it worked, Pastor. You see, there is this common fallacy that states the end justifies the means. But gang, that's so much of a lie. You see, David turning to the enemy, doing his own thing, not seeking the counsel or the will of God, David found that he followed down a slippery path he couldn't stop until he hit rock bottom. Now, let's go back to the text and find out how this whole thing plays out. We follow on here in our story, verses 5 through 9. Let's go back to our chapter now, verses 5 through 9. Then David said to Achish, remember now, Achish is the king there in the city of Gath, if I now have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, that is the land of the Philistines, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city, the royal city that's a reference to the city of Gath, with, with you? Now at this time, it has been estimated, not only were there 600 men, but remember, 600 men with all of their families, their wives, their children. So it's been estimated at this time that there were 2,500, it's possible. This is open to speculation, but it's been suggested that at this time, there were 2,500 people that were accompanying David at this uh, time. So they're looking for a place of safety. They're looking for some place to be able to, to live. And so, verse 6, so Achish gave him the city of Ziglag. Now, Ziglag became the center of David's uh, military uh, operations. And, uh, and by the way, Ziglag was also, it, 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 you can check this out at the back of your Bibles if you have a Bible uh, atlas, uh, geographical atlas, and you'll discover that Ziglag was actually located there in Israel's southern border. So that's where it is located. So that's where David went. So Achash gave him Ziglag, verse 6, that day. Therefore Ziglag had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. So now he's residing there in that city with all of the people that had joined together with David. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David. 1 Samuel's book of action and adventure 
but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh